0: Hello, and welcome back to A Reason for Hope. I'm your host, Mario Costabile, and we're going to take a deep dive into our faith and our Catholic Church today. We're involved in so many forms of media, such as films, music, and events, but this is a little different for us. This is an opportunity for us to share things that we think about, but seldom really have a chance to discuss. Our discussion today is about miracles. So let me ask you, have you ever seen one? Have you ever experienced something that happened and was something good and beautiful and and you were kind of surprised and baffled and, and even grateful that it happened? Well, let me ask you, what is a miracle anyway? It is an event that is unexplainable by natural or scientific laws, which means there is a supernatural component to it. The key word here is Supernatural, an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. Well, that divine power is God. When the Son of God walked the earth over 2,000 years ago, he performed many miracles. Sometimes it was to show the doubtful that he was truly God, but other times it was just to show us his mercy and love through his healing of the many people he touched. God is still very present in our world today, and He performs many miracles. They don't have to be parting of the Red Sea type of miracles. It could be as simple as God allowing grace to work within us to do better on a test, or allowing it not to rain on a day with a forecast of thunderstorms on someone's wedding day. God hears us, and He can answer our prayers. As a matter of fact, an answered prayer can be viewed as a miracle, because it is. After all, a miracle is God intervening, coming into our world, and and I guess this happens all the time. We just need to open our eyes. Our guest today is Dr. Ben Carson, and he has seen many miracles in his life, and we're going to share this very exciting interview with you today on this episode. So welcome to A Reason for Hope, and here we go. Dave, how are you today? I'm Yet, good. We're back with another episode. Yep, excellent. Uh, I suppose by the time this episode airs, we'll be past Christmas, huh? Yes, yes. It's a fun time. It's a fun season, right? Yeah. You like of, Christmas? <laughs> I, I do like Christmas. I I you know I I hate the commercial component of mm. Christmas, but I love the spiritual component when you really focus on the beauty of our Savior being born into the into the world uh, and what that means. Yeah. You know it, it's beautiful. You know. Um, It's exciting.
1: Yeah, it gets kind of hard sometimes with the uh, amount of commercialism that's out there, though, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it does. But I, you know, uh, you know, I'm a grandfather now, so to see, uh, you know, my grandkids and how much joy comes from them, and during Christmas and opening up presents, it's 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 a really uh, beautiful experience and, and joy that I witness.
1: Isn't it amazing? Like with the little kids, especially, it's almost like magical, miraculous, Christmas is just so big, right? Yeah. You know, and sometimes you, you kind of lose some of that. As an adult. As an know. adult, yeah. There's a new grandbaby,
0: right? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, miracle. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, she was born actually on St. John Paul's Feast Day, the same day of your Emily's wedding. Excellent. All yeah. About that. yeah.
1: So that's exciting. And mm-hmm. it's hard not to, not to see the miracle of life and all
0: that with that, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, you
1: know, our topic today is miracles do happen, and Ben Carson's the guest. So what an honor for us to have Dr. Carson on the show. Like, how did that go? How was that?
0: Um, It was really incredible, actually. Uh, uh, It was, uh, you know, a a very high-profile guest. Uh, It was exciting. I think what impressed me the most about him is that uh, the span of his life and how he started uh, as a young poor child in a community that was impoverished uh, uh, and how he overcome a lot of difficulties and, and then went to school and, you know, and became a neurosurgeon and then a, a politician and pretty amazing, pretty amazing story.
1: Yeah. And uh, well, actually, we picked the topic today, miracles do happen, because um, I think that you got into a little bit of that with him, right? Obviously, he's seen a lot in his life, a pediatric and neurosurgeon, mm-hmm. and gosh, what he must have seen. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, he's seen some amazing things. I mean, actually, he performed the very first successful uh, neurosurgery on an unborn child. I don't know if you knew that. Mm -hmm. Uh, He also um, based uh, a lot of his experience as a neurosurgeon concluded that God is so real. God is so present. Miracles happen all the time. And he experienced those miracles, which he shared. With on our on our interview uh, he also shared the difficulty he had as a young child and some of the struggles he had with anger and and his journey when he went to college and he went to yale and landed a leadership position at john hopkins and then became a world-renowned surgeon and even a presidential candidate was really a, an astounding sort of uh sharing uh, of his story yeah you know I mean? yeah uh almost so, miraculous
1: in and of itself there. yeah
0: very miraculous yeah, yeah so
1: well um I guess uh, what I was thinking is we'd focus a little bit on miracles and the importance of them for Christians. Um, and since, uh, since that kind of came up with Dr. Carson, uh, in his work uh, called Miracles, C.S. Lewis defines a miracle as an interference with nature by supernatural power. So what is clear, Lewis explains, is that there's actually a prior question to the question, do miracles happen? And that is the question, is there a supernatural world, a world beyond the natural world, beyond what you can see, hear, smell, taste, touch, and feel? Someone who claims that only the natural world exists, like we might call somebody like this a materialist or a naturalist, would hold that there's a natural explanation for every phenomenon. Um, If there is no supernatural world, then there has to be only a natural explanation for everything. Um, and it's, it's interesting. Lewis talks about how the word nature itself means what springs up or comes forth or is born or arrives or goes on of its own accord. So, um, so the person who rejects, you might want to say, the supernatural, basically thinks that everything has come about on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, people might say, by sheer chance, Um, actually it's, it's, it's something that people don't tend to think about, but in this view, not only do miracles not exist, but neither does meaning exist. There's no meaning to anything or anyone. Your life and my life are meaningless, um, really effectively, at least like objectively speaking. Um, and this is a fact that Nietzsche actually said that everyone needs to wake up to. You know, he he says, and um, that's where the whole God is dead thing comes in. Um, We need to realize that there is no God and there is no meaning, and that's the way life is. Mm. Um, But when you think about it, it's a pretty dismal and dark outlook. Um, But nonetheless, that that would be the same. There would be that consequence of not believing in the supernatural either. Um, Now, I wanted to mention that there exists another possible view, and this view is that... um, there is a God that exists who created the universe, but, and he establishes the laws of the universe, but then effectively has nothing to do with the universe. So he kind of just spins it and then leaves it alone. And This is referred to as deism, usually, um, that obviously there, there's still a sort of, you might want to say, movement of the supernatural with regards to the natural, but only insofar as the natural world has a supernatural cause right? Um, this view was actually held by a lot of the founding fathers. So uh, many of the founding fathers were deists. They weren't Christians. Um, it's, a, it's a view that really springs out of the enlightenment. Um, but I, I need to be clear. It is not a Judeo-Christian view. Mm-hmm. It's not compatible with Christianity at all. I mean, the Judeo-Christian view of God is a God that is very involved in creation. I mean, the Bible is replete with God getting involved, right? The Bible itself, the whole idea of divine revelation means God gets involved. He speaks to his people. He reveals himself to them. Um, We pray because we believe that God does and can act in the world. Otherwise, why would we pray, Mm -hmm. right? There'd be no reason to pray. Um, Of course, then you add to that the fact of the incarnation, God becomes man. You can't get like any more involved in the world than actually becoming, you know, man. And uh, and so we do necessarily, therefore, believe in miracles, that there's a supernatural world that that is intervening in the natural world, a mm-hmm. supernatural power that's breaking into nature, mm-hmm. uh, eternity breaking into time. Um, and we don't have time to discuss why those who believe there's only a natural world or those who believe in deism um, are misguided and why those ideas are are incoherent but i want to make sure that we talked about the fact that like they're just not christian so um yet you'll hear people who are christian say things that are really deist um and that's probably because they just don't know their faith very well
0: Yeah, and the question I always ask myself, and I even ask people, you know, with the existence of God is that why are there miracles? You know, Jesus walked on water, he healed the sick. You know, uh, why do you think he did that? He he was drawing attention to the fact that God is real in our world and he's showing us the reality of God's existence, which is why miracles I believe happen today. It's God intervening, showing that, hey, I'm here. I know that you're human and you need proof. A little tap on the shoulder. And here's another miracle. Right. And what's amazing is that, you know, um, d- d- you know, the news doesn't cover the miracles that do happen all the time. Yeah. In, in the medical if world. If it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. I guess miracles don't bleed, but they bleed <laughs> in a different way.
1: Well, you know? and, and that's it. Like, yeah. if you really had people, uh, the news is typically bad news you don't you don't see a lot of good news yeah. which is a, it's a shame. Yeah. And then of course, you know, stepping in the realm of the miraculous in the secular culture these days is, you know, probably a little a little little taboo. Yeah. Um, but you know, you bring up an interesting point um because why did Jesus perform miracles? And that's a great question. You know, he walked on water, he said I don't know if you know this, but like there's a whole strain of biblical scholarship that doesn't agree with that. That sort of dismisses the miracles. It's like, it's like deconstruction got into biblical criticism. You mean you're saying that they're saying that they they did not happen? No, absolutely. Um, there's this group called the Jesus Seminar that really made um, a lot of these false distinctions between the Jesus of history and the Christ of faith, and um, and and this kind of stuff where Jesus was like an ordinary guy, and it's only the church reflecting back that kind of attributed all these things to him and that the miracle stories are really symbolic or allegorical, that they're, they're not really telling events that happened. Mm. Um, uh, one of the ones that always cracks me up is, is the one about, you know, that Jesus feeding the 5,000 with just five loaves and two fish. Um, the, the, the <laughs> some of these, these, uh, these biblical scholars would, would try to make us believe that what the real miracle was, was that, you know, that that Jesus evoked generosity in the hearts of people, and all of these like loaves and fish that they had been like like miserly hiding like under mm-hmm. their cloaks, they brought out and shared with everybody. So it was a great miracle of sharing. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me! Like mm-hmm. you know, it's like, and yet this is what the ridiculous stuff that you'll hear in the gospels. Jesus' miracles are called signs, right? Mm-hmm. And and signs do what? They point to something what were the signs that Jesus was performing pointing to, but to his identity? Sure. You know, Um, even even like when he calms the storm, right? With just saying, peace, be still. What's, what's the question that the apostles ask? Who Who is is this that even wind and sea obey him? Like, like there's only one answer to that question. Right. The answer is that he's God. Right. Right. So like, these are the kinds of things that the, the miracles were pointing to. And yeah. um, and they're pointing to the fact that the kingdom of God was breaking into the world. Mm-hmm. And Jesus himself says that. If by the finger of God, these signs or these miracles are performed, then the kingdom of God is upon you. You know, like, that's what it's supposed to indicate. That's what the miracles of Jesus were doing. They were supposed to elicit faith. Yeah. Which yeah. is
0: what they do today. Right. Right. If you pay attention to them.
1: Well, and again... Have, did the miracles even really cha- stop? Like people say, well, Jesus' day, you know, maybe, Jesus. how come we don't have the miracles we have in the Bible? Like think about you need miracles in order to canonize saints. We've got like 2,000 years of like, you know, we've got a, a wellspring of miracles. Right. You know, so learn about them. Yeah. You know, what about, what about like everywhere where the Blessed Virgin Mary appears? They're miracles. The the miracle of the
0: sun, like witnessed by 70,000 people. Well, you got to look at the Shroud of and that's an, still unexplainable for Guadalupe. On. And, uh, you know, so. That's right. They're, so they're, they're out th- there. You just have yeah. to find them. That's right. Or, you know, the Eucharistic miracles that are so present that are still unexplainable. Yes, absolutely. You just got to do your due diligence and seek them and find them. Well, and I think
1: that's it. And so. Um, Amen. But I, I think that also too. On some level, you mentioned the daily miracles. We talked about the miracle of the grandchildren or the the clear evidence of God's existence that Dr. Carson talks about Mm -hmm. in his own story or in his witnessing and his medical practice, right? Is that broadly speaking, everything is miraculous from the standpoint that God holds all things in being. So there is no nature without supernature. There is no natural world continuing on without God holding it, right? And I think that that's key. There's nothing that happens in the world that God either doesn't make happen or allow to happen. And so, in that sense, though there might be a natural process to things, the very fact that that process can continue and take place is only because God has willed it, Right. So if we look at that definition of it's the supernatural breaking in to the natural on some level, then really just being itself, existence itself, is miraculous.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
0: Sounds great, Dave. Great discussion. Thanks. You're welcome.
3: Hey, guys, what's going on? It's Alanis back with Who's That Saint, where I give you guys three clues on one saint for you guys to guess before the big reveal. Clue number one. So for the first time in Who's That Saint history, I'm gonna straight up just give you this person's name, okay? So this saint was born with the name Agnes Gonja Boyaju. So if you're very devoted to them, then that was a huge giveaway, okay? Do you know who this saint is? Moving on to clue number two, this will be in the form of a quote. So this saint was quoted saying, we can do no great things, only small things with great love. Who's that saint? And clue number three, this person is the only saint to have ever been given the honor of receiving the Nobel Peace Prize back in 1979. So there are your three clues and the saint is, can I get a little drum roll please? Saint Mother Teresa. Saint Mother Teresa was a religious sister who was famously known for her charitable work with helping the poor, the sick and hungry people of India. She founded the Missionaries of Charity, which currently has a whopping number of 4,500 sisters who actively serve in missions around the world. She was canonized as a saint by the Catholic Church only a few years ago, back in 2016. She is the patron saint of missionaries, florists, and the sick. St. Mother Teresa, pray for us. Ooh, who's that sad?
2: Hey there, welcome back to The Music Corner. AOH Music, the music entity of Array of Hope Ministries, is thrilled to announce the release of our first single, One Life. You can find AOH Music on your music streaming platform of choice, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, etc. We featured the song in an earlier version of The Music Corner this season, so you may already be familiar with the song's chorus we wrote this song together with the goal of celebrating this one life god has gifted us with as baptized christians we're adopted children of god and it's important to remind ourselves that life is beautiful and sacred human life has an eternal destiny which was bought at an infinite price saint ignatius of loyola's first principle and foundation informs us that man is created to praise reverence and serve god our lord and by this means to save his soul And the other things on the face of the earth are created for man and that they may help him in prosecuting the end for which he is created from this it follows that man is to use them as much as they help him on to his end and ought to rid himself of them so far as they hinder him as to it so let us offer up this one life we have to jesus christ who is all worthy and deserving of our praise our lady of the rosary pray for us
0: Dr. Ben Carson is an American retired neurosurgeon and a politician who has served as the 17th United States Secretary of Housing and Urban Development from 2017 to 2021. A pioneer in the field of neurosurgery, he was also a candidate for President of the United States in the 2016 Republican primaries. He has written numerous books such as Gifted Hands, Created Equal, You Have a Brain, and why America matters. Let's welcome Dr. Ben Carson. Uh, Dr. Carson, so nice to have you with us today. I'm honored to be sharing some time with you. How are you?
4: I'm doing very well. And it's a, a very great pleasure to be with you. Appreciate all the things that you've done for the kingdom. Oh,
0: thank you. You too. You too. Uh, I have so many questions I want to ask you. Uh, first of all, you're, you said you're in Florida, right?
4: Yes. Well, you know, I moved to Florida when I retired from neurosurgery back in 2013. And I thought I was going to play golf and just have a good time for the rest of my life. But uh The Lord had other plans, and I ended up in government. (laughs) And then after that, I thought I was going to retire for sure. But uh, the the rate at which the country was deteriorating made me decide that maybe I'll retire when I get to heaven. Okay. Well, that's a good plan. I like that plan. Uh, So before we
0: get into all that, uh, let me ask you some questions. I like to... um, I like to always ask a little bit of a historical context of our guests. So tell me a little bit about yourself when you were little, a young boy, where you grew up, your family, um, just, uh,
4: you know, your, your background. I uh, grew up in Detroit. You know, my parents were divorced early on. My mother discovered that her husband was a bigamist. Uh, she had gotten married when she was 13 years old, trying to escape dire poverty in rural Tennessee. Wow. And uh, then we ended up moving to Boston to live with some relatives in a tenement there, typical tenement, large multifamily dwelling, boarded up windows and doors, sirens, gangs, rats, roaches, murders. My favorite cousins were killed. I never expected to be more than 20, 25 years old at the most, because that's what I saw around me. And then I was a horrible student, probably the worst you've ever seen. Really? But But my mother was the only one who ever believed in me. She said, Benjamin. You're much too smart to be bringing those great home. And uh, she was a domestic. Uh, she had less than a third grade education, but she was very wise. So she was also a spy. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, I'm going to see why these people live in these beautiful homes. Why are they so successful? And she concluded that it was because they read a lot of books and didn't watch a lot of TV. So she came home and imposed that on me and my brother. and We were not happy campers. But uh, we had to do it. And, uh, you know, as I started reading about people of accomplishment and all kinds of fields, it became increasingly apparent to me that the person who has the most to do with what happens to you is you. It's not somebody else. Mm -hmm. It's not the environment. It's not all the things that everybody around me was blaming everything on. And, uh, you know, I became a bookworm at that point. If I had five minutes, I had a book. And in the space of a year and a half, I went from the bottom of the class to the top of the class, much to the shock and consternation of everybody around. But uh, it was a real metamorphosis uh, for me. And, uh, you know, I began to pursue my dream of becoming a physician and uh, subsequently becoming a neurosurgeon and a pediatric neurosurgeon. Wow. Wow. And it was a it was a, a talent that God blessed me with. I, I had a natural affinity for neurosurgery. I took to it like a duck to water. When I decided on neurosurgery, there had only been eight black neurosurgeons in the world. And everybody was saying, that's not the right field for you. But you know, the good Lord does not dispense talent based on race. And uh, he gave me what I needed to be uh, very successful. And have an opportunity to intervene in, in multiple lives, and uh, I am very grateful to him for that. Amen. So, uh,
0: g- growing up, we, I, I guess your mom was a very principal figure in your life. Was your dad in in the in the picture, or what was that relationship like?
4: No, he was uh, he was not in the picture. He had another family, mm-hmm. and. Uh, You know, my mother used to go after him for alimony. But uh, after a while, she just gave up. But uh, she was an an amazing person. She was very thrifty. We had no money. Uh, She worked three jobs at the time as as a domestic because she didn't want to be dependent on the government. And uh, she would take us, for instance, uh, out in the country on a Sunday morning and knock on a farmer's door. And said, do you mind if me and my boys pick four bushels of your corn, three for you and one for us? Well, they always liked that deal. <laughs> and then she brings <laughs> stuff on and can it. <laughs> wow. she, was, she was incredible. She was very thrifty. She knew how to sew like crazy. She could sew beautiful drapes, which she uh, subsequently sold to very wealthy people. They loved her work. Wow! She made all of her own clothes. Uh, she was she was
2: the ideal homemaker. Hey, if you're enjoying this interview, be sure to check out the full video version on the Array of Hope channel. Subscribe for free at watch.arrayofhope.net. Then download the app by searching Array of Hope on your mobile device, Apple TV, or Roku.
0: What, uh, so what inspired you to become, you know, to study the brain? I mean, like, of all things, you know, I, I could understand being a doctor, you know, physician, mm-hmm. but like that, that's, that's like the most in- intense part of medicine, right? What p- pointed you in
4: that direction? Well, initially, you know, when I went off to college, I was convinced that I was going to be a psychiatrist. Ah, And I really thought the rest of medicine wasn't that interesting, but I knew I had to go to medical school to be a psychiatrist. But uh, during my first year in medical school, I was so taken by the things that the neurosurgeons could do. I mean, it was just incredible. And uh, I I developed this real affinity for the human brain. Couldn't get enough of the human brain. And I started out as an adult neurosurgeon. But uh, I was really drawn to the kids because you could do really pretty amazing things with a kid that you can't do in an adult. Mm. Like uh, sometimes when they had intractable seizures, seizures that couldn't be controlled in any other way, and they were coming from only one side, you could actually take out half the brain. And then they would rewire so that they were functional, minus the seizures. I mean... That's incredible. That's something you wouldn't even think of in an adult. No.
0: Um, you also did some surgeries inside the womb. I mean, maybe you could you know, share a little bit of that. What that was like, and, and how did you even conceive? I mean, you were one of the first doctors doing that. So, what was that like? Uh, and then, what were the results of that?
4: That kind of work. Well, one of my one of my uh, OB GYN colleagues came to me and said, Ben. Uh, you know, you tend to do things that are a little out of the normal. Um, I have a woman who's pregnant with twins, and one of them has a severe case of hydrocephalus. And the head is growing so rapidly that it was threatening premature labor, and both twins would be lost because their lungs are immature. And he said, is there some way you could do an operation on the hydrocephalic twin that would buy us several weeks so that their lungs would be mature enough so that we could save the normal one. We, we have no expectation of saving the other one, but the normal one. And uh, there had been an article in the New England Journal of Medicine a few weeks before that talking about intrauterine surgery and how it was an aspirational thing for the future. Obviously, we weren't able to do it at that time. Um, but they needed it at that time. so. I was aware of a pediatric neurosurgeon who was doing some experimental work on intrauterine surgery on sheep in Philadelphia, so I contacted him. I said, do you think uh, maybe we can modify what you're doing for people very quickly? And uh, we, we actually were able to modify it, but then I couldn't do the operation at Johns Hopkins because the ethics committee said, this is too far out of norm. Uh, we, we really can't sanction that. So I went to one of the community hospitals with no ethics committee. We did it there. And uh, it was amazing watching that hit shrink on the ultrasound right before our eyes. And we were able to buy a few more weeks. And the lungs were mature. And both babies were delivered. And it was a big national story. Yeah, I know. No. Uh, and at first, uh, you know, some of the critics were saying, well, that was unethical. You know, we're not ready to do that. Except then it became clear that not only was the normal baby okay, but the hydrocephalic baby was okay. And then they started saying, well, I would have done that too. (laughs) But uh, some years later at a banquet, this elegant, beautiful, statuistic young woman comes up to my wife and says, are you Dr. Ben Carson's wife? And she said, yes. And she said, your husband operated on me and my twin sister while we were still in our mother's womb. Oh, wow. Yeah, I just want to thank you. And that's why no one's ever going to convince me that what's in a mother's womb is a meaningless bunch of cells. Yeah.
0: That leads me to the next question. I know that you're a big advocate on, you know, life, uh, child in the womb. Tell me a little bit about how that's evolved. Uh, Did you always feel that way? Were you always pro-life in the sense that? Tell me a little bit about your background and and how that evolved uh, into your advocacy today.
4: Well, I grew up in Detroit, a very liberal city, and then in Boston, a very liberal city, and then to college in New Haven, a very liberal city, and then the medical school in Ann Arbor, a very liberal city, and then to internship residency in Baltimore, a very liberal city. So I was very liberal and uh, embraced most of the liberal concepts, including being pro choice. And, you know, I personally didn't think that abortion was a good thing. But I said, what right do I have to tell somebody else what they should be doing? So for that reason, I was pro-choice. And then one day I was really seriously considering the issue of slavery. And I said, you know, slave owners felt that they owned the slaves and they could do anything they wanted to. Kill them, beat them, rape them, whatever they wanted to do, uh, because it belonged to them. And I said, what if the abolitionist had said, well, I don't believe in slavery, but you do what you want to do. Mm. You know, where would we be? And I said, maybe we do have a responsibility uh, for others. And in fact, if you look at the book of Proverbs, the 24th chapter, 11 and 12, it talks about those who are innocent, who are being drawn into death. And don't you have a responsibility? And you can't just say, I didn't know about it, because the Lord will hold you responsible. So that all of that had a tremendous impact on me. And I began to recognize that you can't just let people be slaughtered and torn apart and just turn your head and say, yeah, it's a woman's right. You know, that's the most sacred bond there is on earth, a mm. woman and a child. And God placed that child in a mother's uterus for her to protect it, not to kill it. Mm.
0: Um, let's talk about your relationship and with God and, and religion. Has, was that always in the forefront? Uh, did your mom bring you up in that way? Or how has it developed over the years, your relationship with God?
4: Well, uh, I was brought up in a church. Uh, a Seventh-day Adventist church, and I thought I had a pretty good relationship with God. Um, I certainly was a believer uh, growing up, and then when I was 14, you know, in a fit of anger, I did have a problem with my temper. I would uh, just really fly off the handle and do ridiculous things without thinking about the consequences. And in that particular case, I tried to stab a another young man in the abdomen with a large camping knife. And fortunately, under his clothing, he had a large metal belt buckle and a knife blade struck it and broke. Wow. And I was horrified as I thought I was just trying to kill somebody. And this was after I had turned things around academically. Uh, but I locked myself in the bathroom and I just started... Contemplating, and said, "Now, where, where would I be if he hadn't had that, that belt buckle on?" And I, I prayed, and I said, "Lord, you got to help me. I can't control my temper." And I knew that I would either end up in jail, reform school, or the grave. I was not going to end up as a doctor with a temper like that. Mm. And there was a Bible, and I picked it up turn it to the book of Proverbs and just started reading. And there were all these verses about anger. It seemed like they were all written about me. Mm. You know, like, like Proverbs nineteen nineteen. there's no point getting an angry man out of trouble because it's just going to get right back into it. Mm. But in Proverbs sixteen thirty two. mightier is the man who can control his temper than the man who can conquer his city. And Those were encouraging verses. And then there were all these verses about fools, and they seemed like they were written about me too. But, <laughs> you know. I spent three hours reading, praying, and contemplating. And during that time, it dawned on me that the reason that I was angry so much is because I was selfish. Because it was always about me. Me, my, and I. Somebody did this to me. They took my thing. They're in my space. I want the. And I said, if you learn how to step outside the center of the circle. Let it be about somebody else. You won't be angry. That was the last day I had an angry outburst.
2: Wow.
4: And that really solidified my relationship with God. I adopted him not only as my heavenly father, but as my earthly father. And uh, the relationship just grew from there.
0: Uh, How so? How is he an integral part of your life on a daily basis, and how how do you evangelize to your your colleagues, your your family? Share a little bit of that.
4: Well, uh, I never hid the fact uh, during my surgical career that many things that couldn't be explained scientifically, I could explain them. <laughs> I said that was God, right? Uh, he intervened. I wasn't. Uh, shy about talking about that. And I always prayed to him for guidance. Uh, to show me what to do. And he always came through, like uh, as a first-year medical student. You know, I did terribly on the first set of comprehensive exams. So badly that uh, my counselor told me that I should drop out of medical school. Wow. He said, I wasn't cut out for medicine I was just going to torment myself and everybody else, and they would help me get into another area in the university. Wow! I was devastated because the only thing I wanted to do was be a doctor since I was eight years old, and I just went back to my apartment and I just said, "Lord, please show me what to do." I just, I'm, I'm lost. I'm completely lost in, in despair, and it. It dawned on me that I should analyze my academic record. I said, what kind of courses have you always done very well in? What kind of courses have you struggled with? And I realized I did very well in courses where I did a lot of reading. And I struggled in courses where I listened to a lot of boring lectures, because I don't get anything out of boring lectures. And I was sitting there six to eight hours a day listening to boring lectures. So I made the executive decision to skip the boring lectures and to spend that time reading. And the rest of medical school was a snap after that. And some years later, when I was back at my medical school as the commencement speaker, I was looking for that counselor because I was going to tell him he wouldn't cut out to be a counselor.
0: (laughs) Or or (laughs) hire more teachers that aren't not so boring. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Wow, that's that's great. I, we had a guest on here, Father Robert Spitzer, who uh, once said uh, he was talking about atheists, uh, people who you know don't believe in God, but he did say that. The medical profession, doctors, had the highest percentage of believing in miracles and in God. And I forget what that was—something like 70 percent, guys. I can't remember what that number was, but something really, yeah. really high. Which makes sense. You guys, right there on the front lines, are the ones experiencing the miracles. Uh, Absolutely. And, and and you know, and you know,
4: there's no other explanation because you know science. You've applied the science and said. No, <laughs> this doesn't You scratch it your was, head. It, was,
0: it has to be divine. There was,
4: there was one case on which uh, one of the multiple cases of conjoined twins, uh, and this was in South Africa. We reached a point in the operation where it looked impossible. There were blood vessels crisscrossing between the two brains. It, it was like trying to separate a bowl of spaghetti. And we stopped the operation, and I said, uh, I think uh, maybe if we just cover everything over with skin and wait for a few months, uh, some of these vessels will self-delineate and we'll be able to come back and complete the operation. And the doctors from Zambia, where the kids were from, and South Africa said, it's a great idea. I know it would work at Johns Hopkins, but we don't have the ability to keep partially separated twins alive. They'll die. Wow. And I just said, Lord, you know I've I've reached my extremity. I I I can't go any further. But I went back in there and started operating for the next many hours. And after twenty eight hours, we finished the operation. Wow! And uh, one of the twins woke up right there in the operating room, reached up for the co2 The other one did the same thing. By the time we got to the ICU, and they're the first complexly joined craniopagus twins to be neurologically intact. But uh, during that operation, the other neurosurgeon said, we could not believe what you were doing. And I don't remember (laughs) any of it.
0: (laughs) And I don't think it was me. God, the father was guiding your instruments, right? Absolutely. It's beautiful. Um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. so. I actually been wanting to ask you this question. So you ran, you know, for president in 2000. When was it? In 2016, right? So yes. that that for a neurosurgeon is like a big left turn, I would think, right? It's like uh, huge left turn. <laughs> it's like, yeah. all right, get out I, of the way, I, I... Uh, Lord. Uh, was <laughs> it? Was it? Was it divinely inspired? Did the Lord? Did you hear a calling? Say, Lord, you know, uh, you know, uh, Ben, I want you to do this. Trust me. Or
4: what, what was that like? It became clear to me that he did want me to do it. I didn't want to do it. But after, after I gave the, uh, the prayer breakfast speech in 2013, which came as a real shock to me because I didn't know anybody ever did it twice, and I had spoken for the National Prayer breakfast in 1997. Wow. Uh, research showed that there was one person who had done it twice. That was Billy Graham. I said, that's pretty good company. <laughs> um, but after that speech... Everybody was saying, you should run for president. I said, these people are crazy. Why don't I don't want to run for president. I said, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And I said, if I just ignore these people, it'll go away. But it didn't go away. It kept growing and growing. And everywhere I went, there were people with placards, run, then run. I had more than 500,000 petitions in my office. And I finally just said, Lord, you know, I don't want to run for president, but if you really want me to, You have to give me all the things that a person who runs for president has. A Rolodex with all the important names, Mm. a lot of money, an organization. And I said, I don't have those things. I have no desire to develop those things, so you just have to provide them. The next thing I knew, all those things were there. We had an organization that was raising more money than the RNC each month. Mm. It was unbelievable. But um, during that process of traveling throughout the country to all the little small hamlets in Alabama and North Dakota. You know, I really came to an understanding of who the American people were. And most of them actually have common sense. Not so much in Washington, but I mean, throughout the rest of the the country, a lot of common sense. (laughs) I think
0: as Christians, uh, followers of Christ, and and our Father, I mean, we have to be obedient, right? I mean, that's part, and that's tough to do. Uh, sometimes we we want to force our own will because we know what we think we want, but the Lord knows better, right?
4: That's exactly right. And I thought after the 2020 election, that I could uh, finally just relax and enjoy life. And- you know, go sell, sell off into the sunset in your golden years. But uh, I realized pretty quickly that I couldn't do that. And there were several people who are just outstanding people at HUD. And so we put together this think tank slash do tank mm-hmm. called the American Cornerstone Institute. Yes. I was gonna ask you about that. To refocus people on sort of the, the things that made us into a great nation. It was not an accident that we went from a bunch of ragtag militiamen to the pinnacle of the world in record time, it was because we adhered to certain principles, one of which was our faith, our Judeo-Christian values, which taught us how to relate to each other. It taught us to love your neighbor, not to hate your neighbor, not to cancel your neighbor, but to love your neighbor. And that made such a big difference And one of the other Uh, pillars, which is community, the sense of community, being able to work together. You know, this country uh, early on consisted of small communities, 20, 50, 100 families isolated. Nobody else around. They not only survived, they thrived. Why? Because they were able to use their collective gifts and talents for the good of the whole. Mm. Uh, and it didn't matter what the political persuasion was or what the religion was. They were able to work together effectively. And what a difference it made. And then the whole concept of liberty, being able to live the life that you want to live. Uh, many of the early pilgrims came here because they wanted religious freedom. They wanted to be able to live according to their faith. Yeah. Uh, this country allowed that to happen. Our Declaration of Independence talks about the fact that we have inalienable rights, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, that that comes from our creator, a.k.a. God. What a difference that makes. And then the whole concept of life and the importance of life from the womb to the tomb. And then we added a pediatric component. I have to do that as a pediatric neurosurgeon, uh, recognizing what's happening to our children and the indoctrination that is going on. You know, it was uh, Lenin who said, give me your children to teach for four years, and the seed that I sow will never be uprooted. Mm. And you can see why there's such an intense desire to get into our schools and indoctrinate our kids mm. and uh, fundamentally change our country. And we said, we have to counter that. So we have an online program Uh, called Little Patriots, Uh, and it has a through K-5 program of learning our history and our values of who we really are. And we don't skip anything. It's a good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm. Uh, But if you do an honest appraisal of our history, you'll see there's a lot more good than there is bad and ugly. It's not like the 1619 program or, or CRT which just seizes the points on things like slavery and says that's who we are and that characterizes who we are, Mm -hmm. not by any stretch of the imagination. Mm -hmm. And they want you to think that we're uniquely evil uh, because of slavery. Every society since there's been written history has had to deal with slavery. What makes us unique is that we had so many people who were vehemently opposed to it because of our values and principles, that we fought a bloody civil war and lost a large portion of our population to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what we should be teaching our children. And then we have books like Why America Matters, Red, White, and Blue, Our Flag Matters to Me and You, and uh, our program online, absolutely free of charge. Uh, Beautiful cartoons and our Star Spangled Adventures, Uh, We recently finished one on the Boston Tea Party on the Declaration of Independence. Beautifully done, with these animations. Hired some of the best animators from Disney, Pixar, ABC Kids, who were non-woke, by the way. Wow. And uh, these things are are incredible, and it's growing very rapidly. Uh, LittlePatriotsLearning.com, free of charge because of wonderful uh, underwriters who realize the importance of making sure that we provide for our children, our real history, who we really are, and uh, get them excited and in love and patriotic. Yeah,
0: that's uh, that's beautiful, uh, Dr. Carson, I love that. Uh, I mean, we need to be optimistic, right? We need to have a, a vision of Really instilling these values. Sometimes, I don't know, as a father, uh, as a a leader of this organization, it can be very discouraging. I feel that sometimes uh, uh, there's an overwhelming sense of, uh, for the lack of a better term, uh, evil in the culture that is really uh, suppressing the good and uh, the beauty and understanding of religion is and who God is. It seems like, uh, uh, you know, they're trying to suppress God.
4: You're right. Well, as Ephesians uh, 6, uh, spiritual wickedness in high places, mm. we see the effects of it. And and what is happening to our society as we push God out? You know, it has to be replaced with something. Yeah, And that something mm. is obviously not very good. And I think the vast majority of Americans actually realize that. But I think it's important that we don't just say, See, it's all bad. I think we have to actually roll up our sleeves Amen. and demonstrate That's right. That's right. to God.
0: Well, and then the good work that you're doing, you're, you're, you're kind of living by example, right? You're putting out good work. You're putting out positive things, reinforcing our history and, and how good America is and, and the importance of faith. I commend you for that. It's really, uh, you, can't, you can't go on vacation yet, doctor. You have to, you have to keep <laughs> moving forward, okay? It's, uh, the Lord is telling you to keep going because your work is so good.
4: And getting people to believe in themselves and in their fellow man. Amen. And in the nation that they, they live in, this is a this is a good place. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we need to try to preserve it because we have all these people saying what a horrible, evil place our country is, how we're systemically racist, how we don't treat people well. If that were the case, why would all these people be trying to get into the southern border? <laughs> and when they got here, exactly. wouldn't they be called? friends and relatives and say, don't come here, it's a horrible place. That's not what's happening.
0: Yeah. No, we're still the greatest nation in the world, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, uh, thank you. Is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners and viewers? Uh, anything uh, that, you, that you're that you working on? Just,
4: uh, you know, go to our website, AmericanCornerstone.org. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole plethora of things there, including a lot of interviews. Uh, my American story about, about people who've come here from other places, uh, frequently where socialism and communism was, and, uh, how they point out some of the same things that are starting to happen in our country and why we must be careful and vigilant and work hard. Um, and we have the executive, uh, series for, teaching people how the government works because there are a lot of good people and we need them to go into government we can't have everybody say no i don't want to do it i don't want to do that to my family i can't take all of this Mm. you know if every if all the good people say that what's going to be left it's not going to be
0: be so to give
4: people a a running start yes um that program exists largely target uh universities uh congressional staffers uh professionals who might want to change a career want to do something for their country uh all of that and a whole bunch of other stuff is is on the web you could entertain yourself for years yeah
0: yeah i was on there this morning it's beautiful it's great work great work i encourage you to continue pounding away we need you thank you so much and well, same say- right <laughs> Uh, and listen, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure sharing the faith, uh our our just our humanity and and, and being in fellowship with one another. I mean, that's so important.
4: Absolutely. Well, I just wanna to thank you for having the courage uh to stand up for Christ in the environment where you work. I know that's difficult mm. sometimes. But that requires a lot of courage and All of us, you know, have to just say, rather than standing in a corner with our head down and hoping nobody calls us an evil name, we just gotta fight for what we believe in, and even if there is a little persecution associated with it, what is that little time against the backdrop of eternity? Amen.
0: Right on. We'll we'll leave with that. God bless you. You too. Thank you. What an amazing episode. I am so glad you got to hear it. I want to remind you to please share this podcast with as many people as possible. The more people know about it, the more they can see and experience God's love. We also ask you to prayerfully consider going to our donation page and helping us with our work. Just go to our website at arrayofhope.org. Also, join us on social media. It keeps us all connected to our faith through music, videos, videos, and our daily reflections. There's lots of great stuff up there that you got to check out. We pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet every day on Instagram at 3 p.m. So please join us. Our guests next time will be Michael and Alicia Hernan. We're going to be sharing with you family life, the ups and downs. And yes, it's very messy. So thanks for joining us today. And there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace.